This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Sam Kastensmith. And today, we are once again a state away. I'm like halfway up the state, still in Gainesville, because the swamp water is delicious. And uh, <laughs> and and Sam is holding down the fort back, uh, back in the office in Fort Lauderdale. But um, this is going to be week six of All Things New our series that is examining the book of Ecclesiastes and then contrasting that with the book of Philippians. And uh, and Sam, I got to tell you, it's like every week in Ecclesiastes, it, for me at least, is becoming harder and harder because it's just like there's just, you know, that's the whole point <laughs> yeah. of it is there's nowhere to turn for hope, man. This is just killing you. Yeah. So, so the whole idea, if, if you've, if this is the first episode that you've jumped in in the series, oh boy, Ecclesi- <laughs> so, uh, Ecclesiastes is r- most likely written by Solomon, and he is uh, giving a, this thought experiment where he introduces the book, but then he says, "Okay, I want the the, the in Hebrew it's kolat, and it means like the convener, the preacher." So he's gathered this assembly together, and he's about to give a speech. Is the idea? And then for the almost the rest of the book, it's this preacher who's making a case that let's let's imagine a world without God. Let's imagine a world that has no hope of heaven, where it's just what you see is what you get. This is all you can count on. And then he goes through all the different ways and all the different things that we set our hopes and our hearts on, and he just begins to demolish them. (laughs) And he really leaves you with this heavy understanding that if it only only under the sun is is what we get, then life is totally without meaning or purpose. I like how you described it being a thought experiment, because that's the mm-hmm. thing about Ecclesiastes, that when you begin to read it and you see the things that Solomon says, you feel like, how can anybody that believes this, how can they go on? How can they get up in the morning? But yeah. it really is an experiment. I mean, he's deliberately taking us to an extreme position, and it's hard to it's hard to watch. You know, it's hard to read. It's hard to get <laughs> yeah. through. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. When I was when I was first coming up in the faith, you'd have people who you'd you'd hear Ecclesiastes be quoted or something, and it would say, you know, blah blah blah. You're better off to be a stillborn baby, and you're going, wait a minute, that's in the scriptures. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's not saying you know you're better off as a stillborn baby. It's what it's saying is. In a, in a world where there is no God, there's no hope of heaven, there's nothing beyond what you see, this would be true. But if you hear it taken out of context, man, it, it could be dangerous. Solomon is saying things that are designed to shock. There, you know, the, it is, it is a shocking book by design. He wants to shock us with the stuff that mm-hmm. he says. And he's, it's like he's challenging, he's challenging you saying, okay, show me where I'm wrong. Right, and when you really start to engage them, that's what will bring people to the end of their rope. Because when you start trying to peel away his logic, you, it's it's pretty unassailable. 
So let me read the passage, the first passage that we're looking at today, which is Ecclesiastes, the first six verses of chapter six. Uh, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All right, where do we even begin with that? (laughs) (laughs) There's a heavy evil on mankind, which which is that we can't enjoy the wealth and possessions that we have. Yeah, I I think first thing, when you go back and you look at the way that the ancients defined um, how the what the blessed life was, one of the things that they it was routine. I mean, you see this all over ancient writings, books. You see it in the Bible, um, but they would consider themselves blessed by wealth, children, and long life. Right. And so, like when, when you take take the story of Job, for instance, you know, in the story of Job, what's taken from him. You know, and, and all the major things that come and swoop against him, you know, it's, it's, he's, the one restriction Satan has is don't, you're not allowed to take his life. So let's put that aside. But he takes his children and he takes all of his wealth and he threatens his health so that Job would have thought, I'm coming to the end. Right. And so he's taking away, you know, the, the enemy is taking away these blessings. And in this passage that we just read, Solomon is saying, okay, let's assume that you have these things in great abundance. You've got all the wealth, all the possessions, all the honor, right? And then he says, so suppose you have a hundred kids. Well, there's your children. And then he says, imagine you live 2,000 years, you know, a thousand years twice over. And so he's throwing these great blessings that everybody in the ancient world would have thought, oh man, that's, that's the blessed life. And Solomon is saying, yuck, you yeah. know, they don't ultimately – you're not going to be satisfied by them. And so starting out at the beginning, we've touched on this before, but that idea of wealth, possessions, and honor so that you lack nothing, there's this really strange statement in there where it says, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. And that's the part that's kind of unique where you're like, whoa, what what do we do with that? You know, Because remember, this whole thing is an, a thought experiment of what if there's no God? But here it's kind of like the, he slips up. You know, and he's like, you can't enjoy them, but God has not given you the ability to enjoy them. Why? And this gets to a deeper theological issue. Can I back up to the end of chapter five, though? Because just for context here, Mm because at the end of chapter five, because I remember asking you about this. I remember asking you, what's up with God does not give him the power to enjoy them? Because at the end of chapter five, Ecclesiastes five, 18 through 20, Uh, Solomon says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, 
This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So at the end of chapter 5, which is right before we drop into this thing here that we were just looking at at the beginning of chapter 6, at the end of chapter 5, we see God giving somebody power to enjoy wealth and possessions and to be able to accept his lot. We're told that person is going to have joy in his heart. So why does God give one person the power to enjoy what he has and and seemingly denies it is this is this our fault is this god's fault what's going on here that god does not give the power to enjoy it i think one of the things that's the difference in the passage and this is it's it's going to be kind of a key of what we're going to talk about in this episode but if you look at the end of of verse 5 when it's saying okay here you have somebody who's given these things and the power to enjoy them one of the things that solomon adds here is he says not only does god give them the power to enjoy them but he adds this really really important addition so it's not just the power to enjoy them it says and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil okay and so so the key difference is you accept your lot Okay, so then when we get to chapter six, now you have somebody who whose God has given wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing he desires, but it doesn't say that he enjoys his lot, mm-hmm. you know, or that he accepts his lot. And so there's there's a difference. I mean, he's already given you a key, and whether or not you enjoy them, like, okay, so God gives the power to enjoy them in which you accept your lot. Now, how how can you possibly accept your lot? Like, what gives you the power to be able to say, you know what, God has given me, you know, this many kids, he's given me this job, he's given me this income, how in the world can I just be satisfied in what he's given me without slaving away for more, trying to build a better life and gain more stuff? And I would contend that the only way that you can accept your lot, right, is to have your hope fixed on something else. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if if I know that I've got something that's unshakable, that satisfies me apart from my stuff, then I'm good with my stuff. But if I don't have something that satisfies me or gives me my identity apart from my stuff, I'm always going to be slaving away trying to find something that satisfies me. And so I think the difference here to one person God has come and satisfied those desires, right? He's given them the ability to accept their lot because they have something better. You know, it's they're they're satisfied where the other one is just perpetually hungry and does not have that same level of satisfaction. And so I would argue and what we talked about is that I think to one person God has has actually given his own satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And to the other person, they're trying to find it in the world alone. Yeah, I think that that I, I think that's spot on. Honestly, I think that the difference is that the guy at the end of chapter five, like you say, is his ability to accept his lot in life. Mm-hmm. But I also think you know because one of the things that he talks about here is he said he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Isn't that a I, cool line? It is a great line. God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. I want God to keep me occupied with joy in my heart. Well, I tell you what, especially these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a, a, recogni- a recognition at the end of chapter 5 that that person has this sense that God has given him 
even the possessions that he had. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's the biggest difference between the two to me is that it looks like the guy in the start of chapter six has been given so much. I mean, that Solomon says that he's been given so much that he's given all that his heart could possibly desire. Like he can't even want more mm-hmm. than this. And yet still he's not satisfied. And, you know, and I think that that's because he doesn't recognize at any point that this is from God's hand to him. I think mm-hmm. that the, that a, a really a key element to uh, satisfaction is that realization that this is what God has given you. Mm-hmm. And not that it's not a fatalistic kind of thing. It's not, I'm not saying, well, that's what God's given you. So just buck up there, Sam, and just live <laughs> with it. Right. No, what you, what we have to recognize is he's given to us exactly what we need, exactly what he wants us to have and exactly what's best for us. And if we feel dissatisfied with it, it's because we're not, we, we're not correctly able to understand, you know, how that has, how that fits together. But, um, to be able to have that perspective, I think is a gift from God. Yeah. My, my parents, they, I listened to stories of my parents growing up. And so my dad came from a, you know, probably middle upper class family in Louisville. And my mom came from projects. You know, her dad was an alcoholic. They went from one, you know, uh, subsidized living place to another. I mean, they had, all kinds of chaos going on in her house. And then when I listen to my parents talk, it's, it's ironic. My dad's home was filled with more of the strife and stress and, you know, a home that wasn't exactly happy. And you listen to my mom who, who really did suffer some things that you're like, holy cow, I wouldn't want that for anybody. But when she talks about her family, they were, they didn't know what they didn't have, but they loved one another and they were content and they bonded together and they had a much richer life mm-hmm. because they accepted their lot. Um, where, it, whereas my dad's family was always striving. And, and so it created this kind of like he has some troubling memories of his childhood where my mom, who had a much harder time, you know, those things bonded them together and they, you know, accepted their lot, not as a, you know, we're, we're lesser than. But hey, God is good even now where we are, mm-hmm. um, and and that's a it was like when I listened to their memories, my mom really you know cherishes those memories. It's it's really fascinating. Yeah, um, I was also going to make a note of the fact that uh, he says that even though this is in verse six, even though he should live a thousand years twice over. Yet enjoy no good. But, but the thousand years twice over, um, I'm kind of a, you know, fan of biblical numerology, you know, that numbers mean mm-hmm. something. They have a, they carry a certain meaning. And anytime the Bible uses the phrase a thousand years, uh, if I'm correct on this and you tell me that it's not necessarily meaning exactly a thousand years, but what it means is a very long time, however long it was needed. You know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of saying this is like a, an era, an eternity, a long time, however long was needed. And so in a way, Solomon is saying, I think Solomon's saying here, like, even if this guy lived Twice as long yeah. as eternity, like, like yeah, even, take as much time as you want. Yeah, even if his life was essentially without end, it would still be. If he didn't enjoy, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. Which, by the way, yeah. despite the TV series name to the uh, what is it called, the good place? Um, yeah, I, I think oh, that the gosh. one place that Solomon's talking about isn't the good place. He's talking about the grave. Yeah. Do not all go to the one place. Everybody is headed to that same spot. Six feet under. Yeah. And that, that whole idea of the thousand, like you see in the Psalms, one of the illustrations I use when talking about when, when the Bible uses that term thousand, there's a line where it says, 
God owns the cattle on a thousand hills or something like that. Well, right. Of course, he owns the cattle on the thousand and first hill, right. you know, as well. He owns them that, on all the hills. <laughs> correct. Yeah. It's it's a kind of exhaustive. And so what this is what this is getting at, like you're talking about, is it saying, hey, how long do you want? You know, give give me a number. You can live that long, and still it's meaningless because you're still going to the grave, and everything you invest into this world is going with you. And if there's no hope of God, there's no hope of heaven. It doesn't matter whether you live fifty years or seventy years or seventy million years. You're going to the grave, right? And it's all going to be snatched from you. You're just prolonging your suffering by being here. Is essentially what he's saying. And I do think that that brings the big wrap up for. Solomon here, because he starts off by saying, I mean, because what's the human answer, Sam? The human answer is, if I just had more money, or Mm -hmm. if I just could live long enough, it's all about how long can I live, how much Mm -hmm. can I have, and so what Solomon is saying here is, I'm covering all those. You can have so much wealth, possessions, and honor that you you have everything you can even think of, everything you Mm -hmm. can desire, or you can live effectively forever. I'm giving you both of those things, and I'm saying that neither one of those is enough. Yeah. And I mean, and it's not just these material things. I mean, you could fill in the blank with really noble things. Like, like I know that there's, in my family, one of the things that I'll hear is, you know, my, the whole purpose of my life is to make sure that I leave a better world to my kids. Right. You know, you hear that a lot. It's very noble. You want your kids to have a better future, but you know, if, if you're watching the news lately, you know, that's a, that's a hope that feel, you know, people feel is being stripped away from them. I mean, the world is crazy right now. And if your main identity, your main mission in life is to leave the world as a better place for your kids, right now that doesn't look all that hopeful, honestly. Yeah. You know, God can change it on a dime and bring revival and everything else. But if your hope is, I just need to make sure that the world's a better place for my kids, or I need to make sure that they have a better life than I did. That is something that you can, you're just set up to be disappointed. Like you can't control it. This world is going to disappoint you. And if that's your identity and outside of the Lord and outside of your hope of heaven, you're set up for a lot of heartbreak. Do you know how you can feel better about the news? Not watch it. There you go. Exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> Stop watching the news. That's the only way to feel better about the news. So Solomon has set this thing up here to basically say it doesn't matter what you have, and it doesn't matter how long you live. It doesn't matter how big your family is. It doesn't, you know, none of that stuff matters. If you can't enjoy it, period, you can't accept it and be satisfied with it, um, then all you're going to do is basically just wait for the day that it's your turn to go into the dirt. Um, so Philippians. <laughs> well, actually, I take that back. We have to look at Ecclesiastes 7 for a little bit, too, because... Yeah, I think probably everybody's going, no, 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 just go to Philippians, Just go to please. Philippians. Okay, well, no, you know I'm what? Seven. No, no, we'll do we're 7. Getting, we have to go to 7. Just, just the first four verses of chapter 7 were part of our passage for this week. And that is, a good name is better than precious ointment, and I'll ask you about that in a minute, and mm-hmm. the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. First of all, let me just ask you about this thing. A good name is better than precious ointment. Now, mm-hmm. now obviously... 
um, this is a thing again where it's he's talking about your reputation, but there's something significant about this idea. I like you know ointment, precious ointment, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. That was like fabulously expensive back in the day, right? I mean, that was like a big yes. deal. And wasn't it like is this like a burial reference again? So, so there's a number of ways that you can interpret this. Um, so this precious ointment is the kind of oil that you would use for a number of purposes. So like okay. one, you could – like you're talking about, it could be used for uh, the, the burial of the dead. Right. It could be used to anoint kings. It could be used to light lamps. One of the, one of the ways that they would use this uh, was for medicine. Like if you had wounds and stuff, you know, you could apply this ointment to the wounds for healing. And so no matter which way you, you translate it, you know, however you imagine that precious ointment being used, I think burial or anointing is the most likely here. Um, but no matter what, it just leaves you saying, okay, stop worrying about the world. That's essentially, you know, a good name, living a good life that people think and remember you fondly is better than whatever office you held. It doesn't matter, you know, this ointment that's going to keep your body from rotting, you know, if it's that. Well, who cares? Your body's going to rot. Or if it's medicine, it would be saying, you know, why bother? Why bother even trying to heal? Just get it over with. <laughs> you know, it's like all of these different references of how you could interpret that are basically saying, look, a good name is better than any advantage or anything that this world could give you in terms of anointing or healing or uh, anoint, you know, burial. All of that stuff. So and now we've uncovered the rationalization for my dietary habits. <laughs> a good name go. is better than precious ointment that would be that would yeah, never mind it's there, there i think it's the idea of olive oil is actually behind the hebrew there really um, i'm not 100 percent sure but i feel like i remember reading that I well and look. i think that that i think maybe the the sort of omni you know use of it the fact that it's that it's a it can mean so many different things i think may have even been intentional don't you like he's saying that yeah. a good name a good reputation is better than anything that you have it's like it doesn't matter what if you want to be if whether it, we're talking about just having a, a a nice funeral being remembered by people whether we're talking about being the king whether we're talking about being healthy whether we're ta- you know whatever it is that you're talking about whatever it is that is your thing in life it's better for you to have a good reputation than to have whatever that is. Um, he yeah. seems to be. It's interesting. I'm looking at the Hebrew behind this. It's like in the NIV, it's it's translated fine perfume. Um, in the in the ESV, we're looking at it's ointment, but the the literal word behind it is fat. Um, that's what the Hebrew word means, and so they would use fat for all sorts of things in the ancient world. I mean, it's where you got oil for anointing. Uh, it's it's it was used for flavoring and all sorts of stuff for burial, like you're talking about. And so this was a, a precious commodity that you could use in a million different ways. So I think what you're saying is right. Like, okay, a good name is better than all of this other stuff. So Solomon is obviously very. Uh, he's concerned about this idea of of your reputation. You know, I mean, that seems to be something that he touches on from time to time. Um, and I I kind of get the feeling that that you mentioned Job earlier. You know, as, as being somebody who God had taken certain things from him. You know, took his took mm-hmm. his his wealth from him and then his family from him. The other thing that that the, that Satan took from Job was Job's reputation. You know, mm-hmm. Job was a, was somebody who was. Uh, 
was regarded as being wise. He was looked to as being a leader, a judge among the people. Like they turned to him for his wisdom. They turned to him for his judgment and, and respect for him. And so that was something else that was that was stripped away from him. And I think it's I think the parallel there is the parallel there is interesting because that's the other thing that is of great value to mm-hmm. man. And and yet after he says all that, a good name is better than a precious ointment. Then he comes back and says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and living will lay it to heart. Is he is he saying is Solomon saying to me? Just get it over with. <laughs> Is that really what he's saying here? <laughs> I, and and some sense, yeah. So I mean, right before that, it says the day of death is better than the day of birth. Right. And and so the idea is, if there's no heaven, if it's just you know when you die, it's black, no consciousness, it's over. When you die, you die. Yeah. Yeah. There's if there's nothing more, then you you at least get relief. Now that's not true, but he's saying, you know, at the day of birth, you're launched into a world that's just ready to disappoint you at every turn and eventually take everything from you that you've worked for. So congratulations, this is what you went on the day of birth. At the day of death, at least the striving stops. And so when, when he's talking about a good name, you know, you know, it's one of those weird things where he, he actually values something, you know, in Ecclesiastes, you know, he's saying, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. But then he says, you know, there is value to a good name. And, and, and the way I read it is, you know, this is something that at least survives you and does good for other people. You know, you're, you, you have this, like Job, you know, he lived, how, 4,000 years ago, and we still talk about him. You know, his name brings, you know, a, a good thing into the world. And so, Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. It's like, okay, it's better to be realistic. You know, when you go to the house of mourning, that's where everybody begins to uh, think about their mortality and recognize how fragile their life is. They take Mm -hmm. inventory of what's precious, right? So as he's saying, it's better to go to the house of mourning in this short little life that you have where you take inventory of what's precious to you than go about your life just partying and ignoring, you know, those things. The death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. Well, where are you going to take that to heart? You know, if I go to a party, I'm not sitting around all night going, I'm going to die. (laughs) (laughs) But if I go to a funeral, you know, I'm looking at my wife, I'm looking at my kids, I'm thinking, what if? And it forces me to take that inventory. Yeah, my my, uh, clever line, and I I – <clears throat> One of the challenges I get each week is I do the most weeks anyways, I do the study notes, which form the basis for our, our system of personal worship, our five day devotion. And so I, I try to say as much as I can without writing too long. I, I mean, you know, it's really a, something that I've worked really hard at as somebody who writes a lot and I want to fix mm-hmm. things by just throwing more words at it. Cause like there's never, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's never been 10 words that I would use when 25 words would do, you know, it's yeah, like, I, I relate to that. Yeah. I mean, I think most people that are authors or writers can, it's like, we, we want to continue to apply words until people start nodding in comprehension. And that's why I, this is such I, a, I do that in preaching too. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's why this is such a hard thing to do, uh, doing a podcast, because we can't see if anybody's nodding out there. So we're just going to keep talking until people start <laughs> toppling over. But the the line that I came up with that I thought was so clever, so I'm now going to repeat it, um, was uh, you learn more at a funeral than you do at a birthday party. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just that, that same idea of if you're if it's a celebration in a celebration, there's nobody that's learning anything about you or about anybody else. 
Whereas if you're going to a funeral, um, some of the things that have, some of the things that have affected me most profoundly, some of the events and times have been the memorial services and funerals for friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been at the church for a memorial service when it has literally been packed. I mean, hanging from the rafters for somebody whose life has been like this guy, you know, has had that good reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the impact that that can have on people. I want to see, I've always felt like this is irrational for me, but you know, when I think about, you know, I'm not much into parties. Like, you know, I don't want my wife to throw me a surprise party. Like, that's just not who I am. Like, I, so I don't care how many people show up to things, but I really do have this desire and this hope. And I, you know, I don't know why. Maybe it's pride, but I, I kind of, I hope I have a big funeral. I want a lot of people to show up at my funeral. Hmm. And I think, you know, there's something in this passage where it's like, you know, who cares who shows up at your birthday party? It says a lot more who shows up at your funeral, um, you know, where where it's not to impress you. It's not to come and say, you know, hey, how you doing? It's I need to honor the life of that man. Mm. Um, and it says a lot more about you, <laughs> you know, who shows up at your funeral party than your birthday party, I think. Well, or at least maybe for me. You know, I would I would tell you, my friend, that I would honor that request for you, but I'm about 15 years older than you. So if I'm at your funeral, <laughs> you've done something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it would not be happy for me to have to attend your funeral, but you can show up for mine. <laughs> you know, uh, that's uh, but it is, I know what you're saying. I mean, and I I, I remember just like I said, I remember these these I remember when Don Marks died and the the, the memorial service at church for him. I uh, going way back, I remember when Renee Mason died. And uh that was something where the church was again absolutely packed and there yeah. were people who were like that when we went there to attend the service, I'm looking down the row and I'm seeing people that I know from around town and I had no idea that she knew them. But yeah. not only had she known them, but she had touched their life in some way that they showed up for her memorial service yeah. and they heard the gospel. You well, know? Dave Ingram, we had to we had to find a new venue. Yes, we had to we had to move it out of our church. We had to have it at a larger uh, larger church because of the people that were going to come to that. Yeah, that's a life well lived. And when we talk about how you invest your life, as we have on other episodes of this, you know, there's two ways you can invest your life that are eternally significant. One is. Into the Lord, and the other one is into people. And I think when I think of my funeral, I think that's it. You know, I want to to know or to see or to at least have the legacy that my life has made a difference to people. Well, I think that that's the perfect moment, <laughs> the perfect thought to then pivot to Philippians because we're talking about life and death. And so is Paul in Philippians. Uh, the passage from Philippians this week is uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. And Paul writes, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Mm. That is exactly what we were just talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. this is Paul saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is a, uh, man, that's, that is profound. But even before he gets to that, this idea that, uh, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, those names that we just mentioned, you know, Don Marks and, and Dave, Dave Ingram, you know, men like that, people like that, that, um, they're passing, which seemed poorly timed to all of us. These, they mm-hmm. were too young to go. Um, their deaths were as honoring as their life and their lives were hugely honoring to the Lord. And then their deaths equally. So, um, I mean, I look at that and I'm going to, I just say that's a gift from God, you know? And this guy is just so filled with faith. Like the fact, you know, the background of, of Philippians is he's, he's writing all this from a place that's not happy, you know, where, where, where the guy in Ecclesiastes, you know, I've got all the wealth and possessions and honor, like, Paul has none of that. Right. <laughs> it's all been stripped away. And he, and and he lost all of that. He probably, he certainly had honor oh, and, for sure. and, and power for sure. and probably wealth. And yeah. And I don't know how, if we've talked about that, but Paul, you know, he, he comes from a family with Roman citizenship, which means he has money. He's trained up by the rabbi Gamaliel, who's, you know, the best of the rabbis, you know, so he's got the best of education. It's he's an climbing. Ivy League education for that time. Totally. Right. Totally. So he's, he's climbing the ladder with the Sanhedrin. He's being sent out to arrest Christians, like in every possible way that you could imagine Paul's life in worldly senses when he was alive, everything was on the ascent. He was on his way making it, and then Jesus happened. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, Christ confronted him, and he'll say somewhere else in this very book, Philippians, you know, I count it all rubbish. I left it all, and I, you know, I, it's nothing compared to having him. And and so now he's in this prison. He's lost all that stuff. Death could be right around the corner, and his words are, "I will rejoice," <laughs> you know. And and he says, "For I know that God's going to deliver me, whether by life or by death." And that kind of faith is amazing. He and 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 what's his what's his consolation is when he says. I know that Christ will be honored in me. That's that's what he wants out of this. Mm. I, I just wanted to give people a bit of context here real quick as you're talking about that. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, verse 18 where he picks up and says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. If you go back to verse 15 in chapter 1 of Philippians, it's talking about, you know, he's in prison. And he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They were, they were hoping that by preaching Christ, by preaching the gospel, that they were going to continue to make things worse for Paul because things were still being stirred up. Paul had been arrested mm-hmm. because he was stirring things up. So let's stir things up more and make it worse for Paul. And what Paul was saying from his chains there is he was saying, I don't care. It doesn't <laughs> matter whether you are making things worse on me or not. If Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. I rejoice. Even if it's at my expense, I rejoice. And I just thought that was really a profound context for that statement. Yeah, and I and I and then in verse 19, so he's he knows this is going to come at a cost, but I love that confidence where he says, For I know. That's the beginning of the sentence. For I know 
that I'm going to be delivered, whether by life or by death, is essentially where he's going with that. And he's totally at peace with it. You know, so, so where, whereas in Ecclesiastes, you have the preacher coming forward and he's like, you know, you're better off just dead so that you can have nothing, you know, essentially, <laughs> so that the lights go out. Paul is like, you know, if I live here, Christ is going to be proclaimed. Light is going to invade this world. I'm going, allowing him to use me to make this world a more beautiful place. And so then my life becomes noble. Uh, but if death comes, that's amazing. That's gain. You know, it's not lights out. I'm, I'm being transformed into a place and into a person, <laughs> you know, yourself, that's going to be far more glorious than what I'm experiencing here and now. Yeah. So either way, it's win-win. I also uh, I like the fact that that he's going to be delivered through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that, that I liked about that was that he's writing to a, a fairly small uh, collection of believers in Philippi. It wasn't a huge church, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what he's saying essentially is, I'm here imprisoned by the might of the Romans, the, the, the most powerful country, the most powerful nation on earth, the greatest empire probably that the world has ever known in terms of its dominance, you know, mm-hmm. over the world at one time. And I believe that through the prayers of you guys, with the help of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that a small group of believers empowered by the Spirit is more powerful and is going to get the deliverance for him more powerful than the mightiest nation on the face of the earth. I just like that, too. I thought that was also great, that he's like, <laughs> "That's really awesome." you got Rome on one side, and on this side, you got a half dozen Philippians and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's also a memory of what happened when Paul visited Philippi. You know, so here he is in chains. And when he writes to the church in Philippi, they remember what happened when Paul was in chains in Philippi. You know, because if, if you read through the book of Acts, when, when Paul actually goes through Philippi, he goes through there preaching the gospel, he gets arrested, he's beaten to smithereens, he's thrown in a prison, and as he's in there with all these horrible wounds, and he's in prison, they start singing and praying. They're singing hymns <laughs> in the middle of their suffering. And we're told that an earthquake happens and and all the prison doors are shaken off and they're free to escape. And Paul actually will stay and this Philippian jailer's terrified that he's going to be put to death for allowing an escape. And Paul actually stays there and ministers to the guy and comforts him. And it's like, you know, when he tells the Philippians that, you know, these chains won't have the last word over me, my God is far bigger than the Romans or these chains. When, when the Philippians get it, they're going, yeah, we know, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've seen this. We, we saw, we, we've, we've seen the original. We're ready for the sequel. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we saw exactly. the first movie. Yeah, that is great. Um, so, uh, he then says a very kind of odd thing to me. He says, for to me to live is Christ. And, I, I mean, the, and to die is gain. That's easy. I, I, I get that. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, when I die, I get to go to heaven and I'm not going to be old and tired and fat and sore and whatever I am. You know, it's like just all these things that frustrate me about myself are going to fall away. So that's easy. To die is gain because once you strip away all the bad stuff, what's left is what God's made of me and that's going to be great. So mm-hmm. I got that part. But for to me, to live is Christ, not to not to live in Christ. Life is in Christ, or life is for, but life is Christ. Mm-hmm. That seemed an odd preposition to me. Yeah, and what so, is he so, getting at? Yeah. 
so so Paul he he says this elsewhere too, but here's the idea, and this is really really powerful, and and so both of these play on each other. So so to die is gain. Well, if if I don't have to live in a way that death is the end, right? right. That everything you know, like the preacher saying, you know, we just have to accrue and accrue and accrue and accrue and build up our treasures, and all of it's eventually taken from us, right? Womp if, womp, you know. <laughs> yeah. If if, if I know. That death is not the end. Death isn't just, you know, everything goes black, but I actually gain that once I'm on it, once I pass through death, things only get better for me. Then I don't have to live my life on this side of death trying to think, Oh my goodness, I only have 30 more years. I better, I better do this and this and this and this and store it up and do this and that and live in that slavery, that panic, that wincing of wondering what's going to come. Right. But it allows me to live with this kind of freedom that death isn't my end. Death doesn't take everything away from me when you're in Christ. But then that transforms. Okay. Well, what do I do while I'm on this side of death? And the most precious, valuable thing that you can do on this side of the grave is to allow God, the one who made you as you are, the one who designed every bit of you, the one who gave you your sense of humor and your talents and your your wisdom and every all the things that he's given you, to allow that God to come dwell in you and Animate the design that he has made you to be, the person that he has made you to be, to shine through you so that you become all that you're supposed to be. And so that's what it means when he says, for to me to live as Christ, what he's saying is, I want Jesus to come in and commandeer my life. I, I want him to, to take over because I believe that his mission here is more beautiful. I believe that his power of resurrection working through me will be way greater than my life. I believe that he'll bring me a joy that I can't get on my own. And so it's, it's not saying I want to live for or in and, you know, Jesus doesn't just come and enhance my life and make it better and more tolerable. He comes in and takes over. Jesus lives in me. And so Paul elsewhere, like Galatians 2.20, you know, it's going to say, I have been crucified with Christ, right? That's a big statement. What does that mean? It means that, you know, all the little petty kingdoms that I want to chase after, all my mission, all my stuff has been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And And the reality is, when I'm trying to run my own life, I'm running up against the design of how God has made me. You know, my maker has made me to fit a certain rhythm that I war against in my selfishness. Mm. But if I allow him to take over my life, now he's the one who made me as I am. If I allow him to lead, you know, and to take my life over, now all of a sudden the one who has made me can use me to sing exactly the way he's designed me to sing in this life. And it makes my life beautiful. It doesn't take away my uniqueness or my individuality. It allows God, who is the one who gave me that uniqueness and individuality, to show it to the world in only a way that him working through me can. And that gives you unbelievable value in this life. You know, unique value because God can't do for the kingdom through Mark, what he can do through Sam. And he can't do through Sam what he can do through Mark because he's given you talents that will uniquely make this world more beautiful in one particular way. Mm-hmm. And and so it's like, you know, I preached a sermon on this uh, last Sunday 
And the reality is it's, it's like stained glass. You know, stained glass is nice, but when the light shines through it, man, you see, you see it for what it was made for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's another uh, passage that I think about whenever I think about, I mean, you said uh, the Galatians passage, I've been crucified with Christ. I also think about Second um, Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then down in verse 6, he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. It's like we know we have something better, and we would, and, and what we would like most is to go on to that. But mm-hmm. as long as he leaves us here, our aim is to please him. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that line in Ecclesiastes that we read earlier where it said, you know, if a man lives a, a thousand years twice, I don't know of anybody who sincere, like really authentically can't wait for glory and loves Jesus that's like, who? That sounds horrible to me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I don't want to live here for 2,000 years. The only way that I would want to live here for 2,000 years is if Jesus came and said, I've got something unique and I need you here for 2000 years. You know, it, then it would be like uh, All right, because yeah. you know what's best and you know what's beautiful, I I can do it. I'm going to live that for your sake. Other than that, man, <laughs> I'm I'm like I'm with Paul to die is gain. Uh, but you know what? I would say that's great, Lord, but can we do something about the gout in the meantime? Can we do something? Because, <laughs> you know, if the, if this is how I feel coming into age 60, coming into age 2000, I'm not going to want to be there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just as a practical matter, God, can we do something about the gout? <clears throat> so, no, it is true, though, that, uh, you know, that the, that the difference in perspective between uh, – what Paul's talking about and back in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes to me, Sam, it feels like it was cluttered. You know, Solomon mm-hmm. was saying, Hey, whether you have this or that, none of that matters because in the end, you're always, you're just going to wind up dead. So there's this big long list of things and none <laughs> of it matters. And then Paul comes to you and says, there's one thing. It's like that movie City Slickers, right? With Billy Crystal in it where, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> where one thing, Jack yeah. Palance, the one thing. He's like, one thing. What is it? Just one thing. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, you know what? All that clutter, don't worry about it. Here's one thing. And from that one thing, whatever the outcome is, whether it's life or death, it's going to be okay because you're, you're just focused on that one thing. Yeah, and it, it's like when you really grab hold of that one thing – if we keep our eyes fixed on it, it's easy to lose focus. But if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ and his kingdom, it makes this living this life with the gout. Yeah, so with much, the gout. <laughs> even with the gout, so much different. And, you know, the, the illustration that I love is, you know, in, in the Old Testament, Jacob uh, has to work seven years uh, to win his wife, Rachel. And, you know, the way that it describes it is he's so looking forward to the prize. He loves Rachel so much that that seven years goes by like a snap of the fingers because he's got his eyes on the prize. He knows that the seven years is so worth it because he knows what's in store for him at the end. Now, 
I, I like Rachel and all. <laughs> you know? But how much more do we have? And it's like God is saying, okay, you're whatever it is, you're going to live 50 more years or 20 more years or whatever the case might be. And it's it might be hard. You might not like the labor all the time, but think of the prize that's in store. Now, all of a sudden, the labor doesn't feel excruciating because you're looking at the prize. You're keeping your eyes fixed on on why you're doing this. And it's really, really beautiful and important. And so you can put up with the fallen and hurtful and, and the nature of this world because you've got your eyes on what it's all about. Mm. And that's way different <laughs> than the preacher of Ecclesiastes. It's like he's going through the book looking, what could possibly give them joy left? You know, <laughs> smash it, you know. You have that one thing, like you just mentioned, that one thing, and it can never be taken away from you. That's why, like, in the the Psalms where David says, you know, one thing I ask and this I seek. And what is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to gaze upon his beauty and his temple. Like, dude, I want that. (laughs) I just want to be, like, his beauty, his perfections, his joy, him making the world right, the glory that comes out of him. Like, that's the one thing. And David was facing a ton of stuff, but that's the one thing. And David could make it through anything so long as he had his eyes on the prize. Mm-hmm. I think that may be a good point to stop. <laughs> I think we could let that stand as our last word. We do invite you to pick up with the message series, All Things New. Those messages are available on our smartphone app. Just go to the app store of your choice and look for Rio Vista Community Church. Or you can come to our website at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. You can find all of the sermons and messages there, the full services. You can also find them on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Church. You can find all of the messages there as well. So we encourage you to follow along both with the messages and with these podcasts. Uh, We've enjoyed very much having you with us, and we'll be back next week with another in the series, All Things New, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.